I'm Trina Wilcox, and this is the Writer's Room for Run Radio, and we welcome back Amity Farr. Hello. Hello, Trina. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me today. Of course. Many of you know Amity Farr from Simple Fly Life, always a wealth of knowledge. And today you're in the Writer's Room because you're going to talk a little bit about your fourth book that you've written. It's Simple Fly Life, The Manual. You've even got an excerpt. And so just tell me a little bit about your process and especially when it comes to your fourth book sometimes you can get burnt out and just exhausted or did you come into this fresh and ready to go all right so books one through three were written in about a year and a half and I would attribute that to like verbal vomit it was just <laughs> getting the words out on paper and getting my ideas down and really just more um, cathartic for me to express myself and and get what was going on in my head and the changes in my heart down on paper. But the fourth book, the manual um, was just to buttress my business, which is Simple Fly Life. And it was a resource for my clients. And so it's kind of like having me when you don't have me with you. And um, it's all the tools and tips that I learned across eight years of being a minimalist stuck under one cover. So um, it's very practical, very hands-on. So the process that I used, um, it was just collecting the best of the best. And it, it's probably my most organized book, if you can call my headspace organized. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's formatted to be, you know, in a certain order and teach you some things in a certain order. Um, and so it was my best attempt yet at trying to construct uh, a packaged book and a, and a really good, useful tool. So um, I took from 2014 to 2018 off from writing. And uh, in 2018, I gave myself the entire year to create the manual. And that was an ample amount of time. And so I didn't feel rushed. Um, and I did get it published in December of uh, 2018. And it went together um, as I would wish it to. So that was kind of my process um, this time around. So did you do like outline after outline? Did you ever stop, scrap what you were doing and start over? Or were you pretty prepared in the vision of it that you were able just to sit down and clack it out? So that's an interesting, interesting thing about my writing. When I get ready to write a book, I go for a walk. Okay. And on that walk, the outline will usually come to me. And this is what happened on books one through three, especially. And also I did it for the fourth one as well. But when I come back from the walk, I bubble map out the outline of the entire book. And then it's just really a matter of following my own assignments and filling in the blanks. So um, I knew what I wanted to put in the manual before I even started it. And uh, it was just a matter of creating the content um, that I had already decided upon. And the order was already pretty much chosen uh, by the outline. Um, so I really didn't have to like spread it out over my living room and, you know, try to piece it together. It was, it was firmly cemented before it even began. Had you done that before, like in books one through three, did you spread stuff out and go about it like that? Or same no. way you were able to do the whole walk and right? Bold yeah. Thing. Yeah. I have a friend um, who wrote a book and that's what she did to organize hers was spread it out across the living room and oh. in hard print. But uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't take that approach. So are you one of these writers that edits as you go, or do you go through and then come back and 
do some revisions, edits as you, as after you've written a chunk? So I'm definitely one that writes a chunk and okay. then goes back and edits. And I may do that two or three times. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I don't let it rest long. Like as soon as I've written the section, then I go back and start looking at it again for flaws and improvements. And, uh, so I, I do, I don't write the entire draft and then go and revise. Mm -hmm. I only have done that for my fifth book. That's in the works. That's a children's book. So, so I I've read several times that you really should not edit when you're just trying to get stuff out just to go. But I find that sometimes hard to do because I, I will get hung up on, wait, what, am I using the right word here or the tensing? You're supposed to just kind of blah and then come back. And so that's been something that's kind of been a, a hurdle for me. What kind of challenges have you had in your own personal writing like that? Let's see. Um, so there's definitely the wildebeest of uh, writer's block. Okay. And to push through that, um, I make a deal with myself that I'm going to show up to the page. Okay. And sometimes I just say, okay, you just have to write one sentence today, just one. And if I do that, then I'll let myself rest. But what I find is a lot of the times when I'm willing to write one sentence, I can at least get a paragraph out or maybe even two or three paragraphs out. But um, it's just that thing of consistently showing up. That's been my major um, driver of success, I think, is just that consistency. Just like doing a workout, just show up to the workout, get your shoes on. Yeah. Promise yourself five minutes and then you'll be able to get out 20 or 30 minutes. Yes. Workout. So, Quite right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, I'd love to, for you to share a bit of your book with us, if you would. Okay. So um, here it is in all its glory for those that are watching Great. Simple Fly Life, the manual written okay. in 2018 and revised in 2020. Um, and I'm going to read from uh, a section called philosophy. And this is about the truths that a person needs to accept um, in order to do a successful go at minimalism and frugality. Okay, so the first lie that you need to rethink that you are told multiple times a day, day in, day out, is that belongings equals belonging. If you think I am bluffing, then I encourage you to think about the Jeep's cult subculture so prevalent in the 1990s and 2000s. I see this trend in myself as well as others. We equate entrance to a group of people when we have the same accoutrements as the group. Picture in your mind somebody who is in the process of buying all the trappings of an artist so she can feel legitimate. She has paints that she has not touched and is gathering a collection of things that are pricey and may or may not be used, especially over a long period of time. Even yours truly falls for the trap. When I was writing books before, I had a 24-inch iMac for composing. Oh, how much more minimal I would be with a laptop, I moaned. And as soon as I was debt-free, the iMac got downsized for a MacBook Air. Do I get more accolades with the laptop? No, but I do get more eye strain with the small screen. So true. And, and there is a fine line. We've talked about this before in our businesses to make sure that you do have the stuff that you need to produce what you need to produce, but not going overboard and getting all the bell bells and whistles that you don't need and won't use. Right. Yeah. 
you know, it's like, it's a difference. There's a, there's a major difference, but it's also a fine line difference in things like this. And uh, when you are doing something, if it's internally coming out, then your surroundings will start matching your internal drive. But what I'm talking about here and the lie that needs to be debunked or turned away from is when the external is telling you, okay, if you get this shirt, if you get this kind of makeup, then you will be this kind of person. And so, you know, we are very much a culture where our identity is coming to us from our things Mm -hmm. instead of our identity defining what our things will be. Does that make sense? It does. And yeah. it's, all, it can, it's more tempting than ever when we scroll through social media and all those tempting things are like, the, the lip gloss looks great on this uh, influencer and yada, 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 but it's not always a means to an end. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you just briefly about a, an experience I had when I was in my mid thirties. I um. I just kind of took an assessment of all the stuff that I had surrounding me and in my possession. And what I found was it was really not indicative of the authentic me, you know, the, the me that I am when I'm not under pressure to be anything else. And what I realized was I had bought all these things to create an identity for myself and what I hoped people would think of me by looking at my stuff. And that was a big wake up call. And, you know, my motivation for doing it was I wanted to be accepted and loved. And that's a very legitimate human reason to do things. We all need to be accepted and we all need love. But um, I was going about it in a very uh, detrimental way by Mm -hmm. trying to purchase love and affection by having the right things. What kind of small steps did you start with to come to terms with that and to start weeding out the stuff that didn't identify you and that you didn't need? Wow. Um, You know, I went through a season of really deeply purging my house and I would do it twice a year, every year. So um, for the first five years of my journey in minimalism, I was offloading a lot. And I think that during that time, um, I kind of sloughed off the stuff that didn't fit with my true identity. And so, you know, I would let things go in droves and I would fill up half of my dining room sometimes with what I was letting go, but taking it at that pace really made the change go rather quickly for me. And, uh, within five years, um, I felt like my house reflected me and was, um, indicative of my personal story. And, uh, the things that I chose to keep were very sentimental to me, which surprises a lot of people. People don't think that minimalists are um, uh, sentimental at all, but we are deeply sentimental and we choose to keep the best of the best. But that's how I uh, made the changes to get from feeling fake (laughs) in my possessions to feeling like, okay, yeah, this, this does reflect who I am, where I'm at in my life right now. So going back to the writing and as you are in the middle of a book, do you, the only time you write, are you contributing to your book or do you also leave time for some personal journey, journaling or other personal writing projects at the same time? Oh, I definitely have my own interests. Um, so right now I keep a business journal. Um, okay. I also keep uh, just little snippets of writing. I, as an exercise, as a discipline, I try to write five paragraphs a day. I can write about anything I want 
And, um, but I want to write five paragraphs and sometimes I just have one sentence in a paragraph, but I show up to the page and I, through the years of personal journaling, uh, which I started in 1999 and didn't stop until 2020. Um, I just learned that, um, being a good writer really comes from the daily practice of writing. You cannot get good at your craft unless you are doing your craft. And um, not to say that I'm a good writer, but just to say I show up and, um, you know, it's one of those things of blessing wise, I can write a greeting card in like two minutes flat and say exactly what I want to say and not make a mess of the card with scribbles trying to figure out, oh, did I really mean to put that there? Like it just flows. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that my journaling um, helped my books to just flow out of my head because mm -hmm. I was in such a habit of writing daily. Do you always use a keyboard or do you use pen and paper? Both, both? yeah, both. These days, um, I, I do the five paragraphs on a keyboard. Um, I do the business journal on a keyboard. I do my personal journal and record keeping um, on paper with pen and paper. That there is something really therapeutic, at least for me, for using pen, pencil, and old-fashioned paper once in a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when it comes to the daunting task of actually publishing it, did you? How did you decide what you were going to do? Did you just know that you were going to independently publish, or did you have a a wrestle with wanting to go with a traditional route or did it even, even a, a, a topic for you? So when I was first publishing books one through three, I knew at that time that I did not have the patience to deal with the traditional publishing route. So I decided to self-publish uh, using Amazon and KDP. And I don't regret that decision at all. But what I did learn was when you publish that route, you are the marketing mm -hmm. for your book. You are the marketing department. And uh, if you don't move, it doesn't move. So by book number four, I was well acquainted with that. And I had no misconceptions that you know the manual was gonna be a bestseller or anything. When I created the manual, it was, also independently published. And it was basically because I knew I could get copies made on demand. So I wouldn't have to like purchase a hundred and store them at my house, but I could get the copies that I needed at a dirt cheap price. And so I give them as gifts to my clients. And um, it's just a fun way of saying, you know, here's something extra. Thank you for choosing Simple Fly Life. And uh, it doesn't uh, break my bank to do that. Yeah. That way, all the money is going back into you instead of to the publisher. I feel like for a while, there was some looking down on folks that did independent publishing. But I feel like these days, it's a lot more accepted. Um, you're giving power to the author. Um, there are just a lot of benefits for doing that. What would you say to the person that is trying to make that decision or that has been like, independent shamed uh, in that regard. Yeah, I I do think that you're right. The the independent press is getting much more legitimacy than they did, you know, five or 10 years ago, for sure. And there have been books published that have done really, really well that have been um, more independently published than not. So I think we are changing, as you said. Um, the advice that I would give to somebody thinking about that 
is just decide kind of what we touched on before. What's more important to you? Control over your material, um, royalties, you know, what, what you want to make money wise or what you're willing to risk to make a, a higher percentage on your royalties versus visibility. Because I think with traditional publishing, you still have that powerhouse behind you that's going to push your book for you. You know, many times um, what I hear as criticism of the traditional publishing route is, you know, they you have to sacrifice control. You have to take a lower percentage on your royalties that you might get, or you might not um, get as much money if the book does well. But, um, you know, if, if, you, if that matters to you, then I think that... Um, independently publishing is the way to go. But if your goal is to get that book out to as many people as possible and money doesn't necessarily matter, then it might be wiser to play the game of traditional publishing, you know, go through the channels, get an agent, uh, get formally recognized and uh, have your book go as far and wide as it can. You know, that there are pros and cons to both. Neither one should be shamed and the content will speak for itself. So if yes. you're a writer and you want to write, then write. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Tell people where they can go to find your book. Okay. If you will search on Amazon and you need to search for either Amity Far, uh, both first and last name, or Simple Fly Life, the manual. And all five words need to be there or else you get fly fishing. So <laughs> my book is uh, on Amazon and it's Simple Fly Life, the manual. And uh, you can also look for me by author, uh, Amity Farr. So thank you, Trina. No I problem. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. You can listen for more anytime at runradio.net. Thanks, Amity. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.